0: two weeks ago, three Sundays ago, we started a series on the book of Jonah. And it's been a lot of fun to dive into this Old Testament story. But it was interesting because the same week we began talking about the book of Jonah, people all over the world started talking about the book of Jonah. Seriously, news stories were doing spots and they were mentioning the story of Jonah. Blogs were writing out stories and posts, and they were talking about the book of Jonah. People in coffee shops were talking about the book of Jonah. Coincidence? Like I start talking about the book of Jonah, and everybody starts talking about the book of Jonah? Yes, it was a coincidence. Here's what happened. About two weeks ago, there was a photographer in South Africa, and he was scuba diving, and he was shooting a bunch of whales, like camera shooting, a bunch of whales as they were feeding on schools of sardines. And in the middle of that, He happened to be too close to one of the whales taking a big gulp, and he was snapped up. Now, I put the picture here on the screen. It's kind of hard to make out, so I've outlined it a little bit. His friend, who was on the boat nearby, happened to catch this photo of his buddy, half in, legs dangling out of this whale's mouth, and the whale just starts swimming away with bro inside. Like, it was crazy. Now, eventually, the whale spat him out, okay? It wasn't like, you know, he was in there for a long time long time, but he was in there for long enough. And I, trust me, you guys can Google this. This is not like some made up story, like mainstream news outlets. This was on the Today Show. This was a really, really interesting case of somebody being gobbled up, at least temporarily, by a whale. Now, you might expect me to stand up this morning and say, see, I told you, it's not so far fetched, is it? It could happen. People get eaten by whales all the time. It's just a normal thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that at all. And the reason that I'm not going to do that, today we are talking about Jonah chapter number two, in which Jonah was eaten by some sort of giant sea creature. But the reason that I'm going to be talking about it, and we're not going to try to say, oh, there's a natural explanation for all of this, is because although most people make this um, eating, this miracle of Jonah, by the way, they make the miracle kind of the point of this story. They make it the most important thing that happens over these four chapters. Can I I just tell you, this is basically the least important thing that happens in these four chapters. Seriously, I know everybody thinks Jonah and whale. Nobody thinks Jonah and worm, which is one of the miracles that happens in chapter number four. You didn't even know about that one. I'm going to tell it to you in a couple of weeks. So, the Bible doesn't really make a big deal out of Jonah being swallowed by the sea creature. And so, we're not going to make it a big deal. In fact, What we do when we try to come up with a natural explanation for this particular story, I think we strip it of its power because the Bible presents this as a miracle. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't coincidence. This was God directly, supernaturally, even miraculously intervening in Jonah's world. And so we're not going to try to explain it away and say, see, it happens all the time. Instead, we're just going to let the miracle stand. And again, it's not as big of a deal in the story as you think it would be. In fact, I'm going to put on the screen every single verse in the Bible that deals with Jonah being swallowed by the whale, okay? And I think you're going to be surprised at how little there is, okay? Jonah chapter number one. Verse 17, the scripture says this, by the way, they're up there and we're relaying text messages back and forth because of our text difficulty or our tech difficulty. So they may be a little slow, but that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen for you today. Here you go. Jonah chapter number one, verse 17, the Bible says this. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside of the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter two, verse one says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from inside the fish. Then there are nine more verses that don't mention the fish at all. And in verse 10, it says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. That's it. That's all there is about this big miracle. This has become the defining moment in the entire book of the Bible. And that's all the scripture has to say. Three verses, 49 words, that's it. And you might have noticed that the popular retelling of the story of Jonah gets a few details wrong. Did you notice up there that it wasn't even a whale that swallowed Jonah? It was a great fish. And the Hebrew word that's translated fish, it could mean any number of different sea creatures. In my mind, it was a kraken, you know, something just amazing, grabbed him and gobbled him up. I, that probably wasn't the way it worked. But you know, it could have been any number of things. In fact, if you want to get really confused for a moment, the Hebrew word that's translated fish is pronounced dog. So who even knows what the heck it was that ate Jonah? Okay. It could have been anything. Something miraculous under the sea gobbled this poor guy up. So look, we're not going to make a huge deal. In fact, we're going to talk about the book of Jonah for five weeks. And all that I just said is all that I'm going to say about Jonah being swallowed by a whale. Now, although this is the least important narrative moment in the book of Jonah, I'll just tell you guys, this is the most important message in this entire series. I'm so glad you guys came today because I believe as we read through what Jonah went through, as we look at how Jonah had a change of heart in chapter number two, and he began to see himself differently, and he began to see other people differently, and he began to even see God differently, I think God is going to speak to your heart And he might even do the same transformation in you that he did in Jonah. So we're going to dive in here. We're going to go all the way through chapter number two. Don't freak out about that. It's only 10 verses. It's not that long. But I'm going to kind of walk through point by point, highlight some of the interesting things from the passage. I'll come back and give you a few principles and then we'll wrap up. All right, Jonah chapter number uh, one, verse 17, last verse of chapter one says, now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside of the fish for three days and three nights. Anybody familiar with the Bible? Somebody else had something pretty important happen to them for three days and three nights. I wonder if it has any relation. Anyway, then Jonah, the Bible says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. I just want to pause for a moment and say there are two miracles that happen here in Jonah chapter number two. The obvious one is that Jonah would be gobbled up by some great fish and survive the encounter. That is a miracle. But can I tell you there is another miracle that we've highlighted on the screen for you? And that is that Jonah prayed and God heard him. Let that sink in for a moment. You, me, normal people like Jonah, we can talk to God and he hears us." That's not something light that we should just pass right over. I mean, some of you grew up in religious traditions, some of them Christian, some of them not Christian. And you were told that God doesn't hear your prayers. You have to go through a priest. You have to go through a clergyman. You have to go through a pastor. You have to have somebody else speak to God for you because you're just this little tiny person over here and they're special, they have special access to God. Can I tell you as a clergy person, we do not have special access to God. And when you read through the Bible, you find that God speaks to and he hears the voice of normal people just like you every single day. God is your creator. He knows your name. He knows and recognizes the sound of your voice. He knows what's going on in your heart and your life this morning. You have not run too far. You have not sinned too much. God, the creator of the entire cosmos, hears you when you pray. It's amazing. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish and this is what he said. Now before we read what he said, I want to tell you up front that Jonah was not inside of the whale for 3 days and 3 nights with like a fire lantern and a parchment and a quill and some ink and he's like sitting in the whale gut like journaling his thoughts, okay? This is something he writes down after this episode is finished and it's kind of a poetic retelling of everything he said. How many of you guys know if you were inside the belly of a great fish for 3 days, there'd be a lot of words that came out of your mouth. Some of them not fit to repeat. All right. Jonah said a lot of stuff while he was in the belly of the whale. So chapter two is going to be his poetic writing, his journaling of what happened while he was in there. So this is what Jonah said. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. He says in verse number three, you threw me into the depths of the ocean. Um, Let's pause there. For those of you guys that have been here for the last couple of weeks, it's interesting that Jonah blames God for throwing him into the ocean because it wasn't God, was it? Who was it that threw Jonah in? The sailors, right? It was the sailors. So now he's blaming God. It's kind of like, no, that was God's like, that wasn't me, bro. That was them. No, it was God. What Jonah is doing here is he's actually acknowledging something very important, that God is always at work in every situation you and I go through. The hand of God is moving in every single thing you experience, even jerk sailors who throw you into the ocean in order to get a storm stopped. Jonah recognizes that God is the one who's ultimately moving and working and behind every single circumstance in his life and in your life. So he says, Oh Lord, you threw me into the ocean depths. And then he says, I sank down to the heart. Of the sea. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about chapter one and chapter two of the book of Jonah, we've never mentioned this before, is that if you pay close attention, Jonah constantly uses the word down, 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 down to describe his trajectory in this part of the story. Chapter one, what does the Bible tell us? You can go back and read it for yourself. It says, Jonah went down from his city to the port of Joppa. He tried to board a ship that was going down to the city of Tarshish. Once he got on the ship, the Bible tells us he went down into the belly of the ship. Then when the storm hits, the Bible tells us he is thrown into the ocean. And in chapter two, he continues continues this motif where he's sinking down under the water. It's like Jonah is going to great lengths to let us know life is getting worse for him the further he runs from God. The further he tries to get away from God's love, from God's plan, the worse things end up going. I'm going down, down. And in chapter number two, we're going to find that Jonah goes about as low as you could possibly go. And this low point in his life becomes the turnaround point in his life. And so many of you, you walk in here this morning, and if I said, tell me how things have been going, you might say, "Damn, it just seems like life is going down, down, down. My marriage is going down, down, down. My mental health lately, down, down. My trust in God, down. My prayer life, down. It's going down, down. It's like I'm getting further away from where I know I'm supposed to go. And I have no clue how I'm going to get back. The cool thing about the story of Jonah is that we're going to see a very clear pivot point. We're going to see quite clearly what it is that transitions Jonah from going down, 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 down. So in chapter number three, he starts going up, 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 up. All right. And the thing that Jonah does to make this transition is the same thing that you're going to need to do if you wanna make this transition. So Jonah says, and you can continue to pick this up as we read through, I won't point it out every time. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. Then he says, the mighty waters engulfed me and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Verse number four, then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence yet. I will look once more to your holy temple. Verse five, he says, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. This happens to me every time I go to the beach, man. I just get tangled up. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. Then he says, but you, my Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. And as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And so my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Hey, can I tell you guys, the pivot point in Jonah's life, the moment that changed everything for him was prayer. It was a prayer offered in faith. It wasn't until Jonah stopped and prayed. It wasn't until he reconnected with his heavenly father that everything began to change. And he went up, 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 up. I want you to get this. There's been nothing but furious action in Jonah chapter one. It's been constant. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And in chapter number two, God forces Jonah to stop. Stop running, stop freaking out, stop trying to escape, stop worrying, stop being focused on yourself. Let's be quiet for a moment and let's pray. And some of you, The breakthrough that you're waiting for, this reconnection to God, the thing that's missing is not coming to church. You can come to church for years and years and years, and that's not going to do it. It's not giving money in the offering plate. It's not doing good deeds. It's not proving that you're a good person. It is a simple prayer offered in faith that has the power to change everything for you. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Jonah chapter 2, we'll wrap this up here. He says this in verse 8 those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. Isn't it super interesting? Jonah talks about false gods here. And you might think he's referencing those Ninevites, those evil people that he was supposed to go talk to in chapter number one. And maybe he is. But I think this transition, this pivot moment that's happening in Jonah's life is causing him to recognize that he also has been worshiping false gods. The God of racism. Hello. The God of nationalism. My country is always right. Your country is always wrong. The God of self, the God of self-preservation, the God of hate, he's been worshiping false gods too and acknowledging that in this moment. There's this transition that's happening between chapter one and chapter two, and it is so good, I don't want you to miss it. In chapter one, Jonah is essentially saying, God, how could you love people like that? Given everything they've done, who they are, what they stand for, How could you show mercy to them? Then in chapter two, he says, God, how could you love somebody like me? Given everything I've done in chapter one, he didn't know it was gonna be chapter one, but given everything I did in chapter one, how could you show mercy to me? And God's grace, his mercy is starting to become real and personal for Jonah in this moment. So he says, those who worship false gods, they turn their back on all God's mercies. But he says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows. Jonah is saying, God, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'll do it. I'm in. All right, let's make this happen. I'm not running anymore. I'm returning. then he says this verse, and this is the central verse of the book of Jonah. And I'll tell you, this is one of those verses that perfectly summarizes the entire Bible. This is a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here. It takes a long time to read through it all. And you could summarize every single word that's written in this entire book with verse number nine, or at least the last sentence of verse number nine. The entire book, the thing that Jonah needed to realize above and beyond all else is that salvation comes from my Lord alone. It's not something we earn because we're good people. Jonah was not a good people. It's not something we do when we get our hearts right and we're obedient and we go preach to whoever we're supposed to preach to or we show up at church or we serve on the team or we pray daily or whatever. No, no, no. Our salvation comes from God. See, Jonah, he did not reconnect himself to God. Jonah was helpless in the belly of the whale. Dude couldn't do anything to save himself. The only thing he could do was cry out for help from God. He needed God's grace. He needed God's mercy. And that's exactly what God wanted to give him because that's how God operates on love, on relationship, on grace, on forgiveness, not on our behavior. I tell you guys all the time, I'll probably say it every single week from here until I die. God's love is based in his character and not your behavior. It is based in his character and not your behavior. God's love for Jonah was not based on his behavior. If God's love for Jonah was based on his behavior, then God would have walked away from him. He would have said, go have fun, buddy. I'll deal with you when you die, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, God's love for Jonah was based on God's own character. And so Jonah cries out to God, and the Bible says here in verse number 10, only then it's Only in that moment that the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Only in that moment. It wasn't until he was willing to pray. Understand this, the pivot point, the turning moment was when Jonah repented. And that word repentance, it literally means to have a change of mind or heart. And we see Jonah having a change of mind and heart here in chapter number two. And then... He prayed, he prayed to God. I'll just say it again, and I'm gonna bring it up once more before the message is over. For some of you, the only thing you've been missing up to this point is a prayer offered in faith. You've been waiting for a breakthrough. You've been waiting to reconnect to God. You've been looking, just like, I don't know what it is. I'm just, I'm close, but I'm not quite there. What do I need to do to get there? You need to pray a simple prayer of faith. Now, I told you that Jonah chapter two is this poetic retelling of everything that Jonah thought and experienced while he was inside of the whale. Or the grayfish. And uh, the interesting thing is, there is some, there's some cool imagery that Jonah uses in this moment that we just kind of glossed over. And so I want to draw it out. I want to tease it out a little bit because I think it's really, really fascinating. So if we go all the way back to Jonah chapter number two, verse two, Jonah is describing how he started out, you know, what, what he did when he first got into the whale, so to speak. And in verse number two, it says, I cried out to the Lord my God in my great trouble, and he answered me. Now, what's really interesting is the Hebrew word that's used here for great trouble. It's actually a word that's used in several places throughout the Old Testament to describe the labor pains that a woman goes through as she's giving birth. Think about that for just a second. This is really interesting, okay? Jonah is in the belly of a fish, And he uses pregnancy words to describe his situation. That is funny. It's clever, I think. It's really interesting. But can I tell you, it's also very powerful. Because I want you to think through that metaphor of being pregnant for just a moment. Some of you guys are like, I don't have to think. I remember quite well, sir, what it was like to give birth. When you're going through that, what is the primary thing that people think about in the moment of labor? When you're going through that for an hour or eight hours or 16 hours, what are you usually thinking about? You're thinking about the pain, aren't you? You're thinking about like, this is uncomfortable. This hurts. I'm ready for this to be over. But you know that that discomfort and pain is only temporary you know that as soon as you hold your baby daughter in your arms for the very first time, you're gonna forget most of the pain and hurt and discomfort that you went through. Now, I know some of you guys are like, what do you know, dude? You don't have a uterus. How do you know what I felt and didn't feel? I get that. You're right. I've never given birth to children. But I can tell you this. I know what I'm describing is accurate, that the labor is worth the delivery, that the pain is worth what it produces. I know that's true because you keep having babies. If it were so bad that the outcome was outweighed by the process, You'd give birth to the first one and say, never again, I'm not doing that. And some of you may have said that in the moment and then you went and had three more. If you really believed that the pain was not worth what it produced, you would be like the biggest anti-mom evangelist on the planet. You'd go to every lady you'd ever meet and you say, don't do it, it's not worth it. I'm telling you guys, don't do it. But none of you have done that. Why? Because the pain is great, yes. The hurt and the heartache and the discomfort is not something to be overlooked, but it is only temporary, and it produces something so wonderful that in the end you say, it was all worth it. Did you catch Jonah saying, God, in your mercy, you snatched me from the jaws of death. Do you think chapter one was easy for Jonah? No, it was full of pain and brokenness and hurt and heartache. But as he got through it, he said, God, this is worth it. I didn't see it in the moment. I could have never predicted that I would say this, but it's worth it. Some of you are going through great trials, great pain, great heartache. And you're thinking to yourself, God must be mad. He must be punishing me. He must must hate me for what I'm going through. But can I show you from the book of Jonah, and I'm gonna show you from another part of the Bible in just a moment, that what seems like punishment often means salvation. What you think God is doing to hurt you, to harm you, to break you, because he's so mad that you've run away. Can I tell you one of the big themes in the book of Jonah is God is actually trying to save you. Okay, great distress. I'm giving birth to something, God, or you're giving birth to something in me. Now, in the same verse, he goes on. This is the last part I'm gonna pull out. Check this out. He says here in verse two, I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. This this phrase, land of the dead, it's a word that in Hebrew is sheol, and it literally has been translated multiple times throughout the Bible as hell. Yes, it means the grave, it means dead, and it's also used to refer to hell. Jonah is saying, God, when I was going through hell, the only thing I had left to do was to call out to you, and you heard me. Another way of phrasing what Jonah is saying here is, God, when I had run away from you as far as I could possibly run, when I had sunk down to the very bottom, to the lowest I could possibly go, when I was as rebellious as I could possibly be, when I might as well have been dead, you heard me when I called out to you. And again, I just can't help but think some of you are coming in and you're saying, I am in hell right now. I might as well be dead based on everything I'm going to. And I'll just reiterate once more, when you cry out to God, no matter how far you've run, no matter how great your sin, no matter what you have not been able to let go of yet, God stands ready to hear from you. He stands ready to forgive anything and everything you might have done, and to welcome you back as one of his children. No strings attached because, as we're going to see, the only caveat, the only string that ever had to be attached, he took care of on your behalf. I told you a moment ago that there are only three verses in the entire Bible that mention this great fish or this whale. And I kind of lied to you, sorry about that. I don't make it a point to lie on Sunday mornings, but I did lie to you because there's one more verse in the Bible that talks about Jonah and the whale. And as with so many parts of the scripture, it's another layer to the stories that we read and it connects specifically to Jesus. See, in Matthew chapter number 12, this is like seven or 800 years after the story of Jonah takes place. Jesus is here on earth and he's having a conversation with some religious leaders of his day. And they said to him, we'll put it here on the screen for you guys. They said to him, all right, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you're God in the flesh and you're the savior of all and you're the Messiah and da, 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 da. I want you to give us a sign. Show us, prove it that you are who you say you are. And I just kind of imagine Jesus saying like, okay, well, I already did so many things, water to wine, open the eyes of the blind, healing lame people, whatever, but I'll do another one, I'll give you one more. Here is the sign that I'm gonna give you. The only sign that I'll give to you guys is the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is important. He says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days, And three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. See, Jesus is doing something very intentional and very important in this moment. He is drawing a connection between Jonah's story and his story. Jonah's story just doesn't exist by itself as this interesting tale of a guy who had a miracle in his life. Instead, this story that we've been reading for the past several weeks is supposed to point us towards Jesus. So I've drawn a few of the parallels here between the life of Jonah and Jesus. Some of them line up. Some of them are actually completely opposite. But I want you to see how Jesus compares to Jonah and why this is important. So in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, Jesus specifically says, I was in the earth for three days and three nights. So that's one way in which they are similar. Jonah's story points directly to Jesus' story. But from there, it basically breaks down. Instead, where Jonah was disobedient, we read in the New Testament that Jesus was obedient to death. See, Jonah gets it wrong nearly every single time. Believe it or not, there's only two moments in the entire book of Jonah that he gets it right. He gets it wrong more than he gets it right. He is disobedient. Jesus, however, is always obedient. The Bible says Jesus never sinned. He never ran away from God. He never lied. He never stole something that didn't belong to him. He didn't punch somebody in the throat because they annoyed him. Jesus never did anything wrong. He was obedient, the Bible tells us, even when it meant his death. Jonah was metaphorically dead. You know, he was alive, but he was kind of like, I might as well be dead in the belly of the fish. Jesus, though, the Bible tells us, he literally died. He literally died. And whereas Jonah was answering for his own sin, his own crimes against God and against his fellow people, everything that happened was his fault. And Jonah knew it. The Bible tells us that Jesus was answering for our sins because he didn't have any sins to answer for, but he answered for mine. When I'm like Jonah and I'm full of hate, when I'm like Jonah and I'm selfish, when I'm like Jonah and I rebel, Jesus was answering for all of that when he died. In the same way that Jonah was symbolically resurrected, right? The whale spitting him out was like him being born again, so to speak. Jesus was physically resurrected, literally came back from the dead. Yes, I know Christians are weird for believing that, but we do. It's another one of those miracles. And whereas Jonah's situation meant salvation for himself, Jesus He secured salvation for us all. So Jesus is saying, Jonah's a cool story, but I don't want you to get hung up on his story. I want you to see how Jonah's story points to a bigger story. And that bigger story is one that you find yourself in as well. It's one that I find myself in because I took the liberty to compare a little bit of Jonah and us, to show you how we're not so different from this runaway prophet. See, Jonah was running from God. And can I just be real? I run from God all the time and so do you. Try to get away, try to escape. I'd be happy some days if I could get as far away from God as I possibly could, just being real. Do you know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 53, we're all like sheep who have wandered astray. We've all gone away from where we were supposed to be. We've all distanced ourselves from God, sometimes intentionally, more often than not, it's unintentionally. There just seems to be something inside of each of us that tends to drive us further away from God instead of pulling us closer in. Jonah was self-absorbed. And uh, I know I don't know you and I probably don't have the right to say that you're self-absorbed, but can I just say based on what I know of most people and certainly what I know of myself, we're all a bit self-absorbed, aren't we? The Bible says in 2 Timothy that we're all lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Isn't that like the perfect description for Jonah? He was a lover of self rather than a lover of God. As Jonah was dead in the belly of the fish, the Bible tells us that you and I are spiritually dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. We are separated from God and basically we're helpless. There's nothing that we could do to gain right standing with God. And the Bible tells us good news, salvation is a gift from God. Jonah was helpless, we're helpless, but that doesn't mean we're hopeless. Let me say that again, because that deserves a bigger amen. I rarely ask for anything, but I'm going to ask for this one. You may be helpless, but you are never hopeless. Jonah was helpless, but he was not hopeless because the Lord heard him when he cried out. And as Jonah was saved by a prayer of faith, the truth is you and I are saved by a simple prayer of faith. It's not because we go to church. It's not because we think we're good people. It's not because we follow all the rules of the Bible so well. I don't, ask my wife. Um, It's just like, we're not that great at doing the right thing. So instead, what we do is we pray to the God who hears us and we ask him for his grace and his mercy because we are more like Jonah than we are Jesus. Thankfully, our father takes the 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 standard of jesus the goodness of jesus the perfection of jesus and he uncovers or over he covers over the disobedience and the failures people like jonah and people like us so i'll say this one more time for some of you the thing that you need the thing you've been waiting for get you over the line, to experience your breakthrough, to reconnect with your Father, to discover life overflowing, is you just need to say a simple prayer in faith. And I wanna help you because I realize that you may not understand the words to say and you might not feel comfortable, you know, praying and wondering if you got it right. So I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone in the theater, just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this moment where you say, you know, I feel like I've been running from God. I've been going down, 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 down. And it's time I start going up, up, up. I need resurrection in my life. I need to be born again. Well, I need to discover a real and fresh and life-giving relationship with with God, then I'm gonna invite you to pray these simple words after me. In fact, I'd love it if everybody in the theater would just repeat these words. I'm not asking if you don't mean it, that's okay. But if you've already said these words, then would you just say them with me so that our friends who might be saying them for the very first time don't feel so uncomfortable? Could we say, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. And I believe you can give me both. Thank you for hearing my prayer today. I give myself to you.